Tonight we're going to talk about the road to Emmaus. Because sometimes we all walk on the road to Emmaus, right? We go through things in our lives. Mothers and parents lose their kids, right? We go through divorces that we don't want to go through. We have job losses. We, have, we go through financial times we never saw coming. And we get really disillusioned with life and with the Lord. And we say, God, where were you? Were you with me when I was going through this? Did you not see me? These are legitimate questions. Even the disciples that walked with Jesus for probably three years had these same questions of the Lord. So I just want to dive into the scripture and start reading. This is from Luke, and this is the road to Emmaus, okay? Later that Sunday, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about, it says 17 miles, but it's really seven miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about so sad and gloomy? They stopped, and the one named Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Aren't you the only one in Jerusalem, unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? Jesus said, what things? Like he didn't know. What things are you talking about? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful, and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the woman had said, but no one has seen him. You can just feel that despair in their voices, can't you? You know, point number one is sometimes life doesn't work out the way we think it should, and God disappoints us. You know, these two disciples were followers of Jesus, and um, in Luke it says that the one disciple's name was Cleopas, and in John we find that Mary, the wife of Cleopas, was actually at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. So there's a really good chance that this was actually Cleopas and his wife that were walking the road to Emmaus. Now, you've got to understand, they were walking away from Jerusalem. They had, they had Mary... The wife of Cleopas was there when Jesus was crucified, not Cleopas. Not any of the men except John actually saw the crucifixion. All the rest of the disciples had scattered, and they had given up because what they thought was going to happen did not happen. And they had all left except for these few women and John. So now it's Sunday morning. He's been in the grave. He, he was crucified Friday. He's been there all day Saturday. They can't go see him Saturday because Saturday's the Sabbath. They can't travel anywhere on Saturday because Saturday's the Sabbath. And now it's Sunday. And all of a sudden they have this weird thing that, that the tomb is empty and a couple of them go check it out and it's empty, but no one has seen Jesus. And they're afraid the worst has happened. Someone has stolen his body. They don't even have his body now. They can't even grieve for him properly because his body has been stolen. And so with desperation and with despair, they head out for a They leave Jerusalem. They're like, I guess we'll just go back to where we came from 
and just kind of give up on this dream. Now, you guys, they were with Jesus for three years, possibly three years. Some of his disciples with him for three years. They lived with him. They broke bread. They ministered with him. They saw him minister. Imagine if you lived in close proximity for three years. I mean, traveled around for three years. You'd get really close with people, wouldn't you? And especially when you saw someone do the miracles that he did, the incre- raise Lazarus from the dead, and now he's dead. And now you don't know where his body is. You can feel that desperation. And sometimes, you guys, that's exactly the way we feel, right? You know, the disciples had experienced unprecedented fruitfulness in healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, and preaching the good news. They ministered in an environment of unusual growth and favor. And now it seemed like it was over. Have you guys ever experienced something where it was really fantastic and then now it seems like it could be over and you don't know why, you don't know how it happened, and it's out of your control, actually. It's happened to you. It's not something that you participated in. It came to you, and it's out of your control. This is the way the disciples felt. Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, says this about disappointment. He says, disappointment occurs when the actual experience falls far short of what we anticipate. In the marriage realm, we call that unmet expectations. We say what happens when you have relational conflict is because you have unmet expectations. You have expectations of your spouse or a friend, and they don't meet that. What these disciples had was unmet expectations of Jesus. They thought Jesus was going to do something on their timeline in their way, and when he didn't, they were deeply, deeply disappointed and deeply grieved. And I've been there, you guys. I've been there in a place where you thought, surely this tragedy is not going to happen, and here it is on top of you, and there's nothing you can do. And you say to the Lord, where are you? You're disappointed. You're supposed to be God. You can do anything. You could show up right now and change this if you wanted to. Why are you not doing this? Have you ever, like, shaken your fist at the Lord? Anybody here done that? Because you're like, I'm mad at you, God. I'm mad. You're God. You're on the throne, but you're not doing anything to ease my pain. It's the question of suffering, isn't it? Why are we suffering? The question is, does God even care about me? Is he silent? Is he hidden? Where's God? Where's God? in my pain, in my disappointment. You know, we're not alone in this. There's tons of people in the Bible that experience everything that we experience. The first one we can think of is Job, right? You know it, don't you, Job? Job. Of the 40-some chapters in the book of Job, 34 of them are a lamentation of Job saying, what is happening to me? 34 of them, are they trying to figure out why his sheep his children, his fortunes, his health, everything was stripped away from him. It's the eternal question, God, where are you and why are you doing this? We've got Abraham. Abraham's like, God, you said I was going to be the father of many nations. I'm 90 years old. I don't have any children. I guess I'll manage it on my own. You know that didn't work, right? Right? 
we've got the Israelites. They've been taken out of Egypt. God is up on the mountain, and they're like, man, he's taking a long time. I don't know what he's doing. I guess we'll just create a golden calf, and we'll worship around it. They were disappointed in God's timing. They're like, where are you, God? We need you. He's given them manna every day, and they're like, wow, we did not expect manna. We really miss the onions and the leeks and the garlic and the fish. That's from our study. From Egypt. Where are you, God? Where are you? We've all been that way. Judas was disappointed that Jesus wasn't moving fast enough in a political manner and tried to force his hand. And Peter even. Even Peter was like, who are you? You're supposed to be a political savior, the Messiah. You're going to throw off the chains of Rome. And even Peter deserted Jesus. Even Peter, the one that Jesus built his church on, was not there when he was crucified. He had fled the scene. He was disappointed. He was doubtful. Every, all, the bad, all the bad ones start with D's. Disappointment, disillusionment, doubt, death, they all start with D's. So my second point is, let's just suppose... What if, what if just perhaps, can you get me a glass of water? What if just perhaps God hasn't abandoned us? What if in our pain and our sorrow and living in this broken world that God still hasn't abandoned us? What, what, is, what if that's just possible? Let's go on to the next little session here, section here. Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for Christ, the Messiah, to experience all these sufferings? Thank you, babe. And then afterward to enter into his glory? Then he carefully unveiled the scriptures. He unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going to a distant place. But they urged him to remain there and pleaded, Stay with us. It will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. You know, earlier in the scripture we read that God had prevented them from actually recognizing that Jesus was walking alongside. And I thought to myself, why does... Why did God prevent, like, veil their eyes? Why did he prevent them from seeing who Jesus really was? And I thought to myself, well, if Jesus just showed up, boom, like that, it would be a miracle, but they would not understand the beginning from the end. Does that make sense? And I believe what Jesus wanted to do was say, listen, my father has been working on your behalf since Genesis. He's been working. He sent he, there was Genesis, and there's Noah, there's the judges, kings, prophets. Throughout your history, I've been working on your behalf. I've been here, and I need you to see that Jesus is the culmination of what I'm doing. I believe that there's a lesson that we have to learn here. That there's something in the scripture for us that God wants to illuminate for our particular situation. We all have particular situations that we're going through, and we don't know the answers to why we're going through it. But I believe that what God wants to do is say, listen, 
come with me to the scriptures. Come with me to what I've gone and done before, and I'm going to show you a new thing and what I'm doing now in your life. I believe that's what happened to the disciples as they're walking along that road, that as they were having this conversation, more and more things were becoming known to them, and they were, they were seeing through the light of a revelation, that Jesus is giving them a revelation of himself throughout the scriptures. The other thing is, I think that sometimes Jesus is with us and we don't recognize him because we're not looking for him. And again, we're not alone in this. Mary, when she went to the tomb, she thought he was a gardener because she didn't expect to see him risen. That was not within her grid. So, So she said, well, sir, where have you put his body? And it wasn't until he said Mary that she actually fell down and worshiped him, right? Peter is out fishing, doesn't expect Jesus to be alive and well, and Jesus is on the shore cooking up a little bit of fish. And it wasn't until he came in a little bit closer that Peter was like, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. And, and remember, dashed out of the boat and swam frantically to get to the Lord. You know, sometimes an extraordinary God shows up in an ordinary way. Sometimes Jesus shows up with skin on right here, the people around us in our community. I know when I was going through it, my God was in every single one of you people that carried me around when I couldn't carry myself around. And sometimes Jesus is all around us, but we don't have the eyes to see it. And we need our eyes to be illuminated. We need to look for where Jesus is. Here, it's an important spiritual principle I want you guys to get a hold of. These are the Ds. Disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, defeat, discourage, despondency, depression, despair, and death can never keep God from us. He will always find us on our Emmaus road. Whatever road we're walking away from the Lord or away from some disappointment, Jesus is going to show up there, and he's going to start to reveal himself to us. It it will never separate us from who Jesus is. That's a really important thing to get a hold of. The third thing is God himself will open our eyes to see him. Going on in the scripture, joining them at the table for supper, he took bread and blessed it and broke it, then gave it to them. All at once their eyes were opened, and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly, in a flash, Jesus vanished before their eyes. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, Why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. They left at once and returned back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples, When they found the eleven and the other disciples all together, they overheard them saying, It's really true. The Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. Then these two disciples told the others what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus had unveiled himself as he broke bread with them. Here's a principle, you guys. You need to listen to what God is saying as he's unveiling the scriptures to you. You need to listen to your heart. Your heart connects with the Lord. 
And he wants to unveil revelation to you, not just about your situation, that disappointment, that disillusionment, that doubt that's going on. He wants to unveil a bigger picture. Because the thing is, you guys, sometimes we have tunnel vision, right? We can only see what's going on with us. We can only see our disappointment. We can only see our disillusionment. And, and God wants to say, listen, I want to open your eyes to the whole, the whole enchilada, all of the history of what's going on and what I am going to do. And don't you understand that I had to die on the cross so that the greater thing could come? And there might be something in your lives that had to die for the greater thing to come or had to be put down for the greater thing to come. But when we're in it, we can't see it. But we need to draw close to the Lord because he's right next to us. We say, open my eyes. What, what revelation do you have for me? What's the next thing? What's the greater thing that's coming that's been promised to me from the scriptures? Is that a good word? Anybody here? Okay, good. I need some feedback. The other thing is, you guys, this is an ongoing process. We're not going to just move from one thing to another overnight. We need to grieve and process with the Lord. And processing with the Lord is always best in a community of believers. Because sometimes what happens as we process or as we go through deep disillusionment or loss or depression, we start to hear the wrong voice, right? We hear the voice of the enemy. And we need believers to say, no, uh-uh, no, that's not what's going on here. Let me, let me open the scriptures for you. Let me be Jesus on your Emmaus road for you right now and open the scriptures to you and remind you of the promises of life that God has for you. It's always best to process with a community of believers. Bob and I had this conversation just this week, didn't we, of how important community has been I'm going to tell that little story. He had some people call him from Texas that had not found their community and were, and were coming to him for their community from 30, 40 years ago, right? Don't be those people. Be in community now so that when you go through things, you've got Jesus with skin on right next to you, and then when they go through it, you're Jesus with skin on right next to them. The third thing about this, I want to talk, this is a hard thing to talk about and it's a hard thing to get a hold of. But in Hebrews 2.10, it says, For now he towers, this is talking about Jesus, above all creation. For all things exist through him and for him, and that God made him pioneer of our salvation, perfect through his sufferings. For this is how he brings many sons and daughters to share in his glory. There's a concept that Jesus was perfected in his suffering. Ah, who wants to suffer? And Jesus was a perfect man, yet the scripture says he was perfected in the suffering he had to do, which means here really he was, he was made complete for the task. There were things he had to learn for the task at hand that only suffering could teach. Resonate with anybody? resonate with anybody you know we're all except for Aaron who's a spring chicken maybe Tina and maybe Regina back there 
we, we've all been, we, and oh, Jane, we've all been down a road of suffering, haven't we? We've all experienced the, the scrapes and bruises when you get to be 39 plus. And uh, you, don't, you don't escape this world la-di-da down the road. You really don't. You're going you're gonna to experience it. But be of good cheer. You're being perfected in your suffering because the Lord has a task at hand for you that that suffering is going to help you do, is going to complete you. Now, I just want to be clear here. I don't believe that God says, hey, I'm going to visit you with disease or I'm going to visit you with divorce or it's, it's my will for these things to happen to you. I do not believe that. I believe we live in a fallen world. I believe we live in a world where free will reigns. We get to choose God because God wants lovers that choose him freely. The flip side of that is we also get to choose bad things, and evil abounds. And sometimes we're victim of a fallen world. That is not God's will, but I believe 100%. This, to me, is an illumination of the Scripture. This is what has carried me so far, and I have learned to, to, to bury this deep in my heart and make this a foundation for my life, and I invite you to do it too. And I don't want this to be glib. I want you to own this, but I believe what Romans 8.28 says, all things work for good for those that love the Lord and called according to his purpose. I believe that with my whole heart. Everything, whether it's bad or good, the Lord is on the throne, and he will take that suffering and he'll perfect you in it. He'll prepare you. He'll make you something greater than what you were before. It's hard to get a hold of. It's a mystery, but I stand on that, and I believe that. And I believe that's a revelation from the Lord. When you can finally get a hold of that, <laughs> we have this joke in our um, marriage class with uh, Gary Smalley. Remember him? He always talks about God testing. He'll go like, yeah, hey, that's a good one, Lord. You know, he'll say that. And, you know, I've learned to say that. When something comes my way and it's suffering, I'm like, Lord, what are you doing to me? Okay, this doesn't feel good. I'm dialed up. I feel grief. I feel a fence. I'm hurt. What are, you, what, what are you illuminating in me that needs to be perfected in this area so I can go to the next level? Because you guys, you know what? I'm committed to going to the next level with the Lord. I don't want to stay on this, on this just status quo. I want to go to the next level. And I'll tell you why. Here's, and I'm going to end with this. This is why. Our destination is joy. Listen, we may start out with doubt and disillusionment and disappointment and even death, but our destination is joy. We're headed for joy, and I'm getting on the joy train no matter what it takes. So Jesus appears to the disciples. So now we've got, you know, he's appeared to the disciples on the Emmaus Road, they're like, oh my gosh, it was Jesus the whole time. We didn't know it. They've walked seven miles away from Jerusalem. They've had dinner. They're like, let's turn right back around that same night. They walk right back to Jerusalem. Can you believe it? They were so excited. It didn't matter to them, the distance. <clears throat> so while they were still discussing all of this, Jesus suddenly manifested right in front of their eyes. Startled and terrified, the disciples were convinced they were seeing a ghost. Standing there among them, he said, be at peace. I am the living God. 
do not be afraid. Why would you be so frightened? Don't let doubt or fear enter your hearts, for I am. Come and gaze upon my pierced hands and feet. See for yourselves, it is I, standing here alive. Touch me and know that my wounds are real. See that I have a body of flesh and bone. He showed them the pierced hands and the feet and let them touch his wounds. The disciples were ecstatic, yet dumbfounded, unable to fully comprehend it. That would be me, unable to fully comprehend it. (laughs) And I love, Jesus is so sweet. Knowing they were still wondering if he was real, Jesus said, here, let me show you. Give me something to eat. They handed him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and they watched him eat it. I guess the assumption is a ghost can't eat food, right? So you have to be a real person to eat. I assume that's the logic. Then he said to them, don't you remember the words that I spoke to you when I was still with you? I told you that everything written about me would be fulfilled, including all the prophecies from the law of Moses through the Psalms and the writing of the prophets, that they would all find their fulfillment. Then he supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures, then said to them, everything that has happened fulfills what was prophesied of me, Christ the Messiah was destined to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go into all the nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins so that they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem. For you are my witnesses and have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. That's the Holy Spirit. We know that. So stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. Jesus led his disciples out to Bethany. He lifted his hands over them and blessed them in his love. While he was still speaking out words of love and blessing, he floated off the ground into the sky, ascending into heaven before their very eyes. And all they could do was worship him. Now, here we started out with extreme despair. Jesus' body has been stolen. We don't know what's happened. Everything we thought was going to happen has completely fallen to ashes. And now they are ecstatic with worship, ecstatic with joy, because they've seen Jesus for real. Overwhelmed, this is the end of the, the chapter, overwhelmed and ecstatic with joy, they made their way back to Jerusalem. Every day they went to the temple praising and worshiping God. So I I want you to see something here. Even though these disciples started out in defeat, disappointment, disillusionment, it's not where they ended. And at the end of the day, it's not where we're going to end either. It's not the end of the story for us. We're going to be like the disciples, overwhelmed and ecstatic with joy. Every day going to the temple, praising and worshiping the Lord. And I'm not even talking about heaven, you guys. I'm not talking about heaven. I believe that is something that we can aspire to here on earth. I believe that we can get to the place where Jesus is so real to us on a day-to-day basis, it's like he's visible to us, just like for the disciples. And we say to ourselves, I will worship you every day of my life, and I will be overwhelmed and ecstatic with joy. Now, does this mean these disciples went off and had, you know, no persecution in their lives or no hard times in their lives after this? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I'll tell you something. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they went out with power. They went out with love. They went out with joy, and they changed this world. 
There is not one person born in this world that has changed the world as much as Jesus Christ. He is the only person who has turned this world around. Not any other religious leader, not any other political leader. It is Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, when we meet Jesus on our Emmaus Road and we give him all of our emotion and all of our doubts and we let him unlock the scriptures and meet us face to face, we are going to be world changers just like him. Thank you for the feedback. So what I want to do, will you come up, Steve? Steve's going to come up. Maybe you would come up, Janet, and be my prayer partner. There might be something you guys have tonight that's um, weighing you down. That's maybe a disappointment or a disillusionment, or you're mad at God. God's, God's not lived up to what you wanted him to do. And you don't understand where he's going. And you need someone to walk with you on your Emmaus road and maybe unlock some scriptures or unveil God to you. I just want you to come up. You can come up to Janet. You can come up to Steve. They're here to pray with you. And just, just be Jesus with skin on. So just be welcome to come up. I'm going to close this out with um, prayer. And then we're going to go eat some of Joe's delicious food, fettuccine Alfredo, I believe. Right? Lord Jesus, I just thank you, God, that you do not leave us in our narrow vision of what's going on in our lives. We've all experienced things, experienced things that are not fun and have been painful and hard to handle. But God, I thank you, Lord, that our destiny is joy, ecstatic joy, and that we're going to see you face to face, Jesus, and we're going to worship you forever. I thank you, Lord, for your promises are yes and amen. And I bless you, Lord, for every single person here, God. Thank you for the hands that have prepared our meal. We love him and we love his food, God. Thank you for this community, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.